Welcome, and thanks for listening to Balancing Boundaries podcast, where we seek to help you achieve success at work and within. I'm Taylor Williams. And I'm Colleen Hampton. We are two young attorneys trying to have it all. Balancing Boundaries is a self-empowerment series where we explore empowerment techniques to balance our priorities. Now a reminder, although Taylor Williams and I are both attorneys, nothing in this podcast is meant to be legal advice. And although Taylor and I are passionate about self-improvement and mental health, we are not mental health professionals. In today's episode, we're exploring how to make work less stressful by approaching it as if it were play. I'm really excited and keyed into this topic because I recently had a therapy session that had a big light bulb moment for me when my therapist highlighted that there are many times in your life that you are, that you're fine with learning and not being the best or smartest person in the room. You're totally okay with it. And I don't know if you've had those experiences. Have you had those experiences too, Taylor? Yes. It seems like the older I get, the far and fewer between they are. Right. Oh, that is so perfect. Yes, absolutely. When I was a kid, it was fine that I didn't know how to do everything. But the older I get, the less fine I am with that. (laughs) And I'm in my head about it. I'm right there with you, girl. Oh, yeah. And it can be very debilitating. I feel like this might be really key to imposter syndrome. This idea that we feel like we should have everything already perfect. And if we don't, then we're imposters, but really it's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous idea. So how can we bring work back to being like play? How can we make it lighter and easier and be okay with just learning? Learning's okay. (laughs) It's okay and it's honestly necessary if we ever wanna grow and develop into anything but what we already are. Oh, you're so right, yes. Tell me about what happened in your therapy session. I wanna know all the juice from the therapist. Okay. Well, you and I know that I've been struggling with imposter syndrome for better part of my life. <laughs> you and half the population of the United States. <laughs> right. And recently, not only have I changed jobs and I've started with a new law firm that is amazing. Yay. Yay. Uh, I've also started, as you know, a consultancy business on the side where I try to work to empower men and women to advocate for themselves in employment opportunities and in negotiations. So exciting. But part of me is frozen in fear at this idea of starting my own business. And I think we talked about it a little last time and that it's like this concept of if I'm not perfect immediately at my own business, if I'm not a perfect entrepreneur then I'm failing. And being a type A overachiever, that's not okay. And it feels horrible. It feels really, I get that anxiety tight in my chest. It is a nasty feeling. And my therapist spent some time talking to me about it. And we went back and she asked me this key question, which was, when is a time you didn't know everything, you weren't perfect, and you were okay with it? (laughs) I was like, whoa. Take me back. (laughs) Right? I've been perfect for a really long time, so it's hard. (laughs) No. (laughs) The moment that really came to mind was when I was younger, I was into music, and I was in marching band, and I played a musical instrument, and I was fine learning how to be a musician. I didn't pick up an instrument and think immediately, oh, I should know how to read music, or I should know how to make this instrument sound perfect. 
it never occurred to me that I should be perfect as a musician. It always occurred to me that I was learning and getting better every day. And I loved being a musician. I loved that. <laughs> and so I decided that after we talked, you know, she was like, okay, we'll just play. Make your job, make your new business, make it play. And I just, I love that idea of making something that seems so important, just play. <laughs> okay, so how have you been able to take that advice and put it into action? How have you been playing? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Great question. Um, <laughs> Well, one of the things that had been really bothering me is that I think we've talked about it, like all these great ideas about getting out there, sharing my ideas about negotiations and empowerment and my fear, my anxiety really kept me from doing that. So after we had this discussion, after you and I talked, I started getting a little bit more forward. I actually emailed a few friends that I don't talk to on a regular basis and told them about my new company and actually filed I know, right? <laughs> filed some tax paperwork too. So that makes it real. <laughs> what? What? Okay. Amazing. I created a new mantra that I keep by my, you can't see it, but it's right here by my screen that says, I am not afraid to act because I'm not attached to the result of the action which is what love play. That. It, that's what play is, right? I mean, when I'm playing a game, I'm not attached to winning. I'm just having a good time. And I'm not afraid to play because I'm just having a good time. So I'm trying to keep all of that very front of mind. I don't want to be paralyzed. I don't want to be afraid yeah. for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's wild. What would life look like the lens that we view life, what would it look like if we weren't afraid? I feel like I'm afraid all the time to the point where it's so normalized that I don't even have to like think of it as fear. It's just, it's its own lens, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Give me an example. What's something that you're currently afraid of? Oh my God. Not having my life figured out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you've had a lot of life changes in the last few weeks since we last recorded an episode. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Since we last recorded, oh my God, this feels like it couldn't be six months ago, but it wasn't. I swear. <laughs> I got a job, a new job. I'm super excited about. <laughs> Woo! I moved to Dallas, Texas, which Ooh. was a total like out of left field, not crazy, but kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you don't have uh, family in Texas, right? I mean, this is New yeah, family. I don't have any family in Texas. And I so for people who are just tuning in, I grew up in the Midwest and then I moved to Atlanta for law school. And I didn't know anybody when I moved to Atlanta, but we had talked about this because I was trying to figure out why does Dallas feel so much more unsettling to me than when I first uprooted and moved to Atlanta. And it's because I had the normalcy of like school and routine. I had a way to meet people the same way I had met people for the first two decades of my life. <laughs> and now I'm in a new city, moved during a pandemic, working remotely. <laughs> right. so, so it's a little different this go around. But yeah, I was not prepared. And I guess for those who are just tuning in, like Taylor said, <laughs> I also grew up in the Midwest. And then I actually moved to Georgia a little bit before, a while actually, before Taylor did. So I feel like Atlanta, Georgia is my home. I've been here for several years now. So 
when I moved here, I had just finished school. I just finished undergrad and it was before law school for me. And, and I had a real hard time adjusting to making friends and being a, an adult outside of school. You know, I mean, without school, you don't have a lot of forced interaction, a lot of forced social gatherings. You know, you don't have that immediate connection with all the people you see that, oh, we all go to school here. We're all suffering through this together. So yeah, it's different. It absolutely is different. And I can't imagine how different it is in a pandemic. <laughs> We're doing it live. Stay tuned, folks. All right. <laughs> so do you feel like you don't have your life together? Because I feel like by an external measure, that's amazing. You got a job, you have a law degree, you just moved in to your own place in a new town. That sounds like it's a pretty amazing. Isn't it so weird how our own perception of the same event can be so different? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out here like, am I doing everything right? Is this okay? I feel like I'm still kind of getting my bearings. And I guess that's one thing that's scary when you really are doing everything for the first time. So I will also tell you one of the things that, and I know, I think we've talked about this before, probably around when we were studying for the bar exam together. But one of the things that has really helped me is flipping the script of the anxiety and fear and reframing it as excitement. And I think we've talked about this. Excitement and fear, they feel a lot alike in your body. Maybe you're not afraid of being in Texas and starting a new job. Maybe you're just really excited about it. <laughs> it is really exciting. I feel honestly so blessed to have gotten a job during this whole situation that's going on. And also one that I thoroughly enjoy. I like what I'm doing now so much better. I feel like it fits my lifestyle a little bit better, so that's good. So for you guys listening, I just started, I'm a director for a bar prep company. So now I'm helping people become attorneys, which is, for me, a little bit more fun than practicing. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's going to fault you there because practicing law <laughs> is just not what I think most people think it is. In fact, our mutual friend here who lent us this Zoom, this, our friend Misty, she runs a solo practice in the metro Atlanta area doing juvenile law and family law and elder law. And she told me this story about how she interacts with this local lawyer who's been doing it for, I don't know, 30, 30 plus years. And he keeps telling her every time he sees her, wait, you have another company and you choose to practice law? Why did you do that? <laughs> and he's been an attorney for like 30 years. <laughs> so, okay. You know what? I think that this really goes to exactly why I decided not to practice is it's not necessarily the work itself. I loved the work itself. I was doing yeah. divorce, which people usually take the wrong way and they think that that's why I left is they were like, oh, divorce. I was on a first date and someone was like, I don't have the stomach for that. And I was like, I did. I'm not really sure what that says about me. <laughs> but for me, it wasn't the work itself. It was the typical attorney lifestyle of really no work-life boundaries. And maybe because Misty also has a different company, she's experiencing her role as an attorney a little bit differently. Not all of her eggs are in the basket of having to take every client that walks through the door. No, I love that. Actually, in, in fact, we should probably get her to come on the show and talk to her, us a little bit about how she balances all her boundaries because she's a kind of an amazing, inspiring woman. And so, yeah, I think that would be great. But yeah, you could be right because she's not in that kind of desperate position of being so hungry for success mm. that she has to do whatever it takes to achieve it. And I feel like a lot of attorneys 
when they first graduate, especially younger attorneys, or a lot of times we use the term younger attorney to mean new graduates as well as younger adults. But so younger attorneys have a tendency to be starved for that kind of, I can't think of the word. It's like gratification, but not really gratification, if you know what I mean. It's like uh, feedback, but not feedback. (laughs) It's a gold star. Yes. We're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. Whatever it takes to get it. If that means working until midnight every night during the week or working 24 hours, bringing a change of clothes to the office. That's what it takes. And that I think is what is fundamentally broken about law firm culture because they don't realize it, but somebody who puts in a straight 24 hours is going to produce worse quality work product than somebody who has better balanced boundaries. It's just the fact. There's a reason why truck drivers aren't allowed to drive for 48 hours, why pilots have to take a break, why... It will literally kill people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Why, why, you could literally, you're an attorney, you could literally kill people. Right. <laughs> your work product. Yes, yes. People should take that more seriously, but they don't, uh, unfortunately. And, and I think that that is part of the problem. And I think that that's maybe why this is such a good fit for you, this career of helping other people become attorneys because, well, first of all, you're very people focused. You are a very people person and I love that. And so I think that is human interaction on a regular basis without the veil of I'm using you. I need you. I'm desperate for you. You know what I mean? Like you're just helping people. You're not that desperate for the interaction. And so I feel like that desperateness that new attorneys have is a lot of what makes them break their own boundaries, cross the line, do things that seem a little sleazy, like ambulance chasers and all that kind of stuff. You can be your best self in this job because you don't have that. And I love that. Oh, thanks. It's been interesting being in this role. I So far, my favorite part has been working with student reps. I've had a variety of jobs, but it's the first time I've really been in a manager type role. Yeah. And so I'm really trying to make a point to get to know the reps that are working for me because I saw student rep dynamics with the attorneys they worked for when we were in law school. And it definitely is not what I was trying to emulate. Some of my friends who are reps, it seemed like their bosses didn't quite understand everything that was going on on their plate. Yeah. And instead of working with them just kind of like added to the pressure added to the to-do list yeah and so yeah being able to connect with the people I'm working with I'm loving that like really know them and try to help them as opposed to just set expectations and then back off yeah and so this is the first time you've ever been in a management role is that right yeah Ooh, that's awesome there's (laughs) there's so much like I, I remember the first time I had a management job I left a company that I love to go work at a new company just so I could get this opportunity. And the COO of the company I love, the one I was leaving was like, are you sure there's nothing we could do to keep you? And I said, you know, no, I really want this experience of learning to manage people. And she said to me, it's not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) (laughs) But to be fair, it's one of those things that you can't learn unless you do it. It's not like you can learn about it textbook dealing with people in a management sense is actually very different than what you read about you know and so I'm glad I had that experience and one of the things that I think really separates a leader from a manager is they're different task focused and bottom line focused and a leader inspires people to achieve at least that's the way I love that yes 
And I think that you're naturally a leader because you're naturally connecting with people on a real personal level. And I think that as a leader, you'll grow and you'll be challenged by working with all these new student reps every year and it'll help you refine that skill set. So I'm really excited for you. Thanks, Colleen. I'm excited too. <laughs> I'm just not happy it's over here. You can't see it, but, <laughs> or maybe you can see it and I don't know. <laughs> but so all of that unrest, all, like all of that change is definitely making you feel uncertain, you would say. I think so. Yeah. Even when it comes to things outside of work, I realized I have a hard time just playing. I, it's definitely like the type A personality that I have where it's all or nothing. I want to do 100% be the best or I don't want to do shit. So <laughs> trying, trying, to find, yeah, trying to find something to do because I've never had nights and weekends before, which right. is wild. So I found myself like, I'll pick up a book on personal development or I'll start like an online course because I'm obsessed with continuing education. Truly, I'm the person that when you see those ads on Facebook that a rando is selling a course and something, I'm like, take all my money. I'm going to take <laughs> I just started one the other day. <laughs> what was it? Gosh, I can't remember. I'm, I only did the first chapter, but it's passion to profit I think is what it's called nice I should look up who the who the woman is who runs it but I like it so far it's like yeah. a, a mini course so it's like a week oh that's great yeah but I, even that I'm like should I start it should I not start it I don't know the, well the okay mentality is hard to grasp yeah, yeah because type a personality like you said you're an overachiever you want to do everything perfectly but what if that course was a book and you saw it and you thought it looked good. And so you grabbed it from Barnes and Noble and you brought it home and you picked up the book and you started reading the first chapter. Would you feel bad if you didn't finish the book? No, talk to the books on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I mean. When it's a hobby, when it's something like reading for pleasure, you're like, yeah. you know, I'm okay. I didn't really like it. I didn't connect with it. I'm not going to finish it. Or yeah. I don't have time for it right now. It's not resonating with me right now. I'm just not going to finish it. And you just put it aside. But when it's things that we attach to some sort of value, some sort of extrinsic feedback. Gauging our to, level of success. Exactly, yeah. We have to do it perfectly. And I just think that would be better because if it was a book, you wouldn't feel bad. You wouldn't feel this guilt if it was a book. And the fact, you've talked to me a lot about guilt before, which I'm sure we'll discuss in future episodes as well. But taking a step back and asking, okay, but why am I feeling guilty? It's so important, right? Because usually you're beating up on yourself about something. Well, yeah, I totally can connect with that statement because for me, I, for the longest time, I felt my emotions and I associated value to the emotions. If I was feeling sad, maybe I felt bad about that and I'd feel guilt. And if I was feeling guilty, it was because I felt like I disappointed somebody. And I just, I always associated value to my emotions. Now I try to remember, I'm not perfect at it, <laughs> but I try to remember that emotions are red flags on a play. That's right. There's a flag on the play. You're having this emotional reaction as a flag to bring your awareness to the situation and to determine what you like, what you don't like, what you need to change, what you shouldn't change, what you feel threatened by, you know, all these different things. It's to draw your attention and awareness to it, not 
to be judged and given a value. It's not a good or a bad thing. Emotions aren't positive or negative. They just exist and we should learn from them. So now I call them flags on a play. <laughs> flags on a play. I love that. It's just information. Exactly. Yeah. It's just information. I've been having some struggle with that myself at my new firm. So I think we talked about this a little bit, but I don't know that I was ever really a big law firm kind of girl. I really like being part of a smaller team that's more hands-on and more team focused or everybody pitches in and helps out. I just, I love that vibe and I love that energy and that's where I am now and I love it. But every once in a while I get these flags that keep coming up and they keep making me think, what am I feeling here? Why am I feeling this way? Most importantly, or most significantly, I guess, they come in whenever I have the absence of feedback or (laughs) the absence of assignments. Like when my hours start to drop, I get this panicked feeling like, are they trying to tell me something by not giving me work? Literally in my head, I think to myself, oh, are they secretly going to fire me because they don't like something I did and they didn't tell me about it? Okay, and real quick, can yeah. you explain what hours start to drop means oh. for people? Yes, perfect. Thank you. Yes. For all those non, those lucky non-lawyers out there, <laughs> the lawyers have to track their time spent on an assignment in increments of six minutes. And so all of my assignments get boiled down into increments of six minutes. And my goal is to bill anywhere from eight to 10 hours a day. And if I start to get less than eight to 10 hours a day worth of six minute increments in assignments, then I stop being profitable for the law firm. And that makes me heavy burden to bear, girl. (laughs) Right. So it's very uh, kind of like a sink or swim sort of environment, or it can be. I don't think that that's the reality at my firm. And the flags I've been getting, I think, have drawn my attention to that. Maybe that's the way things were at my last firm. But I don't think that that is reality at the firm I'm at today. And I'm not getting any external signals. I mean, I get regular feedback that says, oh, you need to improve here, but you're doing a great job. I mean, I'm not getting negative signals anywhere else. It's just in my mind. I'm just very afraid of being an underperformer. And when I see my time slip, I get that signal and I start to feel guilty and I start to feel panicked. And I ask myself, okay, what can you do about it? (laughs) So this time around at this firm, when I start to get those signals and I feel that panic, I've been asking the partners at the firm for more work. I've been more proactive. Instead of like letting it slide out of control, I'm being more engaged. I'm being more part of the process. And it it makes me feel a little bit better about it, actually. It's Oh, yeah. Yeah. Would you say you're approaching from a just play mentality? (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) Full circle. You know, that is the goal. I don't know that I feel like I'm comfortable there yet, but I will say that I've been receiving my negative feedback from a just play mentality. So, uh, yeah, so I've gotten, oh my gosh, yeah. It's been night and day, the difference that it's had in the way I've processed this feedback. So when I get feedback from the partner saying, you missed this issue, there was clearly this legal problem in the materials and you didn't see it you should see it next time. Before, I would have been really upset by that. And I would have taken that as a failure on my part. And now I think about it and I'm grateful for the feedback because had they not told me, I wouldn't have known. I didn't know that that was a legal issue I should have seen. So it's a learning process. I'm grateful for their insight and their support and their feedback because it helps make me better. Just like when I was a musician and I got yelled at by my band director. (laughs) Um, You know, it helped. 
it helps make me a better team player and a better attorney. And so I've been processing that very well lately. And that feels really good. Certainly getting negative feedback used to really hold me down. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to. It actually is really empowering if you turn that negative feedback into tools to further your success. It can be invaluable. So it's so true. When you were just talking about coaches yelling at you and things like that, it made me think about how much of our response when we get feedback is based off of people who gave us negative feedback in the past and the way they delivered it. That's a good point. I have had amazing bosses and I have had frightening (laughs) bosses. Well said. Well said. My very first boss when I was in high school, I lived in fear of messing up. I mean, I lived in it. And it was that boss's reality maybe didn't line up with everyone else's reality. And you internalize those kinds of things. And I think that's why we approach negative feedback sometimes as less than just information is during our developmental years, we associate it with particular emotions or something that initiates this fear response. And it makes it a little harder to just play. I think that's a really brilliant observation because the emotional reactions we have to the stimulus in our lives, that doesn't happen in a black hole. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. That emotional reaction is built on top of the foundation of all of your life experiences and all of the feedback you've received and the way it was given to you. Sometimes you internalize that to be a good thing. Sometimes you internalize that to be a bad thing. And absolutely, it shapes the way you see your reality. And it's one of those things that actually can form limiting beliefs, like we talked about last Mm. time. Because... Like at at one point, maybe it was valuable to you and your growth to see negative feedback as this horrible thing and to associate negative emotions with it so that you didn't do it again. Isn't that exactly what parents do to their toddlers, you know, to try to get them to stop throwing a temper tantrum? They try to make them, they try to give them negative feedback. Don't do this again. Right. And so you could carry that belief that all feedback that is negative is bad. You could carry that negative belief or that limiting belief with you all your life. Or you could choose as an adult to say, wait, that doesn't serve me anymore. That's not useful. I'm going to process feedback as empowering information that I would have otherwise not known because that's helpful. (laughs) I feel like I've lived my whole life until this moment without that reflection. And now I'm pumped for the next time I get less than stellar feedback just to observe how I handle it. Yeah. Actually, right before I left the law firm that I was previously at, I had a review. Well, it wasn't a full review. It was a review with one of the partners. And he was actually pretty good at giving negative feedback. And his feedback was along the lines of, you could do better and you've missed deadlines. That's not acceptable. You know, things like that. That was, it wasn't like it was, oh, Colleen, you're the worst attorney on earth. (laughs) There is a way to give negative feedback in an appropriate way. And he was good at it. And when you get negative feedback in a very non-threatening, non-derogatory way, it is easy to see it objectively. I think it's easier, I should say, to see it objectively and to process it as information and a challenge. Like, all right, yeah, let's see if I can't do this better. (laughs) So true. Now, you were heavily involved in dance all through high school and stuff. So did you find that to be true, like the play mentality? Were you able to bring that to dance? Were you able to approach it that way? Maybe when I was younger. Dance actually was my job. Ah, (laughs) In high school, 
probably when I was younger, but I think, I'm trying to think, I'm like, when was, when did I stop being able to just play? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like too young. And yeah. I that's sad. Isn't that sad? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I read somewhere, probably on TikTok or something, but I read somewhere that finding yourself as an adult is really just embracing the things you like to do as a kid that you cast off because you thought they were grown up enough, you know? So embracing those yeah. parts of your personality. And maybe that is really the play mentality. Ultimately, I think that might be what that whole idea of finding yourself is really about. It's about being comfortable not knowing everything. Because when you're a kid, you don't know everything and you're comfortable with it. Well, most of us are comfortable with it. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there with horrible anxiety, and I hate that. But most of us are okay with not knowing everything as a child. <laughs> you know what? That's probably, this is so embarrassing, but hey, here we are. Put it all out on the table. <laughs> I think that's why. I had a severe anxiety as a child, uh, and I think yeah. that's probably why I didn't, wasn't able to just play. So this reminds me so vividly. When I was in fourth grade, first of all, I had the most incredible fourth grade teacher ever. To this day, she's the best teacher I've ever had. Um, she was amazing. She taught us a lot about racism and Shakespeare. And like, this was in fourth grade, right? Oh, she wow. was just next level. But we had a parent-teacher conference and my parents, so it was me, my parents, and my teacher all sitting at the table. And my parents were like, you are giving them way too much homework. She is staying up past her bedtime doing homework. It's got to stop. And my teacher looked at me and she goes, do you want to tell him or should I? And I had no idea what she was talking about. In that moment, zero clue. And she was like, it's not that I give too much homework. She's just redoing it. I can see the eraser marks on her paper. She's rewriting it until it's absolutely perfect and can't be done with it. Yeah. And I, until she said that, one, I didn't know other kids weren't doing that. I just thought that was normal. That's how bad my anxiety was as a child. Aww. So I think, I think probably now thinking about this, maybe when I got to college was the first time where I started being able to just play. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And that's such an important time because was that the first time you weren't living at home? You were yes. out on Yeah. So I could see that. that. That makes sense. For me, I think I have kind of the opposite. As I got older, I had more anxiety and I was more overwhelmed by my anxiety. The older I got, the more I moved, like when I was in college and on my own, I mean, it became oppressive, the anxiety. <laughs> I hate that for you. <laughs> it's a little fourth grade Taylor. Little baby Tay. <laughs> I know. I think that's why I'm okay having such an aggressive personality as an adult. So I miss like the first decade and a half. <laughs> Why would you say that you have an aggressive personality? Well, I'm very expressive. So it will be interesting if people see any of the video content, if this is really special. <laughs> right. I have no facial filter whatsoever. I'm becoming more comfortable speaking my mind. Nice. I have a lot of opinions, and normally, I, growing up, I kept them to myself. I tried really hard to emulate the perfect child, student, girlfriend, you know, whatever. And As now on TV, the perfect daughter. <laughs> oh my God, truly. So <laughs> my parents had it so easy. <laughs> and I'm sure if I have kids, they're going to be just out of control. <laughs> well, that's so funny because of all like the people I know, I don't think I would ever describe you as an aggressive personality. Now, I will say that really? 
Yeah, I, I will say I've always thought of you as being very vibrant. I remember. <laughs> Such a nice descriptor. <laughs> I remember. Put that on my tombstone, okay. Here lies Taylor. She was very vibrant. <laughs> I remember when you first came to law school because you were a year behind us because mm -hmm. I was in the part-time class and so I had already been there for a while. I could hear you coming down the <laughs> hall. Like you, you would say hello to everybody in the loudest way because you were just genuinely excited to see people. And I remember describing you to, I think it was our friend Sandy. I was like, so Taylor's the one who's really expressive and loud. And she's like, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure now she'd be like, oh yeah, that, that was always Taylor. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. But aggressive, I wouldn't say aggressive. You're definitely expressive, but not aggressive. Assertive, but not aggressive. So interesting how other people see us. <laughs> I hope that's not insulting, because... <laughs> no, no. Okay. <laughs> I feel like yours is so much kinder than mine. <laughs> You know, though, that touches on something that is probably a very universal truth, which is our own voices, our own understanding of who we are tends not to be the kindest light. Mm. And in yoga, I know that they talk about a lot is meeting your present person, either your body or your spirit or your knowledge, like your present representation with kindness. I never, I don't know, it's not easy to do. It's not easy for me. The mentality of treating yourself how do you would a friend yeah. is so easy to say and so hard to do. It really is. One of the things that I've worked on in therapy, which I thought was a really helpful exercise, was to, I think we talked about this maybe when we were discussing reparenting. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, but to imagine yourself as a little child and then give your, your younger self all of the love and attention and caring and nurturing that you would have wanted as that younger self. And so it's kind of easier to look at a picture of yourself as a child and be like, oh, look at baby Colleen or look at baby Taylor. She deserves everything wonderful. But so does present day Taylor and present day Colleen. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right? It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. There is a disconnect there. And it's wow. difficult to look at yourself in the mirror and, and have that same reaction as you would if you looked at a picture of yourself at a seven-year-old and been like, oh, baby Colleen, you deserve everything. <laughs> yeah, and what's also interesting is I can look at you, present-day Colleen, and say, present-day Colleen deserves everything. You know, and like mean it with every fiber of my being. Yeah. And it's so hard to do that for yourself in the mirror. It really I would is. never even think to do that to myself. Right. That is so hard. In fact, I've been really struggling with that and I've been doing affirmations. So I've got affirmations kind of stuck all around my mirror in the morning that I try to read to myself that say nice things like you are worthy of happiness and you are worthy of love and respect and stuff like that. And I stick them all over, but it's still difficult to process that the Colleen that I see in the mirror is worthy of all those things that baby Colleen was worthy of. That is tough. Wow. Oh my gosh. On a future episode, I'm going to have you take me to your bathroom and go through all of your stickers. Yes. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be fun. I do like affirmations and mantras. I find that it's very empowering to me to focus my energy that way. And I like being able to talk to myself that way, but it doesn't come naturally. And I think that that's why I have to use sticky notes and messages to myself that make it very intentional because otherwise I wouldn't naturally have those thoughts. 
Have you tried hypnotherapy? No. Okay. Tell so me about I know. Yes. So one of my friends from college, her name's Trisha. She is a hypnotherapist. And so I've done some sessions with her. First of all, she's amazing. Secondly, she had told me during our first coaching session when she was explaining to me what hypnotherapy is versus what it isn't, because there's a lot of misconceptions due to mainstream media on it. Yeah. She gave me a statistic that I wish I could remember, but it's like you have to tell yourself an affirmation X number of times in order for you to really grasp it and believe it. And it's so drastically different the number of times you have to do it when you're in a state of hypnosis, which a state of hypnosis is, is really just a state of complete relaxation. So it's not what you see in old school movies where they're hypnotizing you, right. like the skulls. Right. It's very meditative. I think she refers to it as meditation with purpose. Oh. And so basically you get yourself super calm and then you bring in the affirmations. And I noticed a big difference in a couple of sessions I had with her. I was focusing on self-respect. So for me in my relationships, being okay with what I need and not feeling guilty about what I need from friends, from partners, from what have you. So um, boundaries, enforcing your boundaries and respecting boundaries. your boundaries. <laughs> yes, respecting your boundaries. And I'm trying to think of some of the affirmations. I wonder if I can pull them up quick. Because she is awesome and she sends you them via email. She also teaches you how to do it to yourself. Oh, that's awesome. I will talk for a little bit about meditation because yes, I, I started doing yoga the last year of law school and I really heavily leaned into it during bar prep. And one of the things they talk about a lot is meditation and there's a lot of focusing the mind. I've done a lot of reading about different Hindu and Buddhist texts and the Gita. And I actually just got to chapter seven and eight and they're talking all about meditation and focusing your mind and training your mind, which actually is amazing because if you think about it, to get back to where we were at the beginning, to harness and stop that negative train of thought, no amount of external feedback is going to stop that negative train of thought in your mind that says you're not worthy. If you think you're not worthy, no amount of external success is going to satiate that problem. It has to come from within. I think we've both achieved by many measures what people would call success. We're both attorneys. We both passed the bar. And yet... <laughs> right? Here we are. Here we are. And yet here we are. So I do think that meditation, and this, this is really fascinating. This hypnotherapy is, is another kind of method to get to that, to start to yes. find. I love that. Trisha told me that, and I pulled up, I haven't pulled up now, but Trisha had told me that essentially what you do when you are in a state of hypnosis and you're doing things like reparenting is you're forming new neural pathways associated with those memories. And so it helps you get through what you were just talking about with no amount of um, external stimuli will get you there if you can't do it internally. This helps you speed up the internal process, which is kind of cool. I love that idea. Yeah. So this is the two affirmations that I really focused on during my first session with her was I deserve respect and I honor what I need in relationships. You honor your boundaries. I love it. Wild. That's awesome. Where is Trisha located? Is she located in Texas? I was just going to say, I think she's in Arizona. So Trisha 
her coaching business is called Stay Fresh Coaching and Hypnotherapy. And you can follow her on Instagram at Stay Fresh Mindset. Nice. She's amazing. Obsessed with the work she's doing. Yeah, give her a follow. Nobody hear this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Any discounts on future sessions? Consider that, uh, you know. Ooh, we'll keep you posted if we hear anything. (laughs) Right, yeah, that's great. You know, it's funny. We're approaching the almost the one hour mark, actually. Time flies when we're talking, so. How does this happen? I have no idea. Right. (laughs) I am going to have to wrap things up here in a minute, but I do want to say that one of the things that recently a lot of our fellow law school graduates have been talking about is, well, I've got to go back to school because I've got to get that feedback cycle going again where people are telling me I'm good. I need to go back to school so I can get good grades so I can be successful and I can be valid. They're not saying it necessarily that way, but the school feedback loop is a bit of an addiction. You know, you turn in an assignment, you get a good grade. Now, that doesn't apply to law school. Law school is a completely different beast. But the traditional school, like, process of turning in assignments and getting grades back is very fulfilling, or it can be very fulfilling. And yeah, and I am not interested in going back to school. Law school was it for me. I'm done. But I did say to a friend of mine, we were talking about this, I I am absolutely 100% invested in continuing to learn about myself. So learning how to balance my emotions, learning how to assert my needs and desires, taking care of my body, taking care of my mind and my spirit. So I feel like for me, the future of learning is really going to involve mystical stuff, you know, mysticism, stuff like yoga, different kinds of things. I see that in my future. I don't see going back to school for a traditional degree because law school sucked the life out of me. Do you have any desire to go back to school? Are you leaning that way at all? 100%. Some point, yeah. I never really thought before. We've had similar conversations, and in those is the first time I've ever really thought about the addiction aspect of the education system. It's crazy. For me, if I went back, I would be going into a different field. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Just because I've always been super passionate about psychology. And that's totally fair. There are some complete shifts of career that require you to go back to school. I mean, that's the whole reason I went to law school. I wanted to shift my career completely. So that's totally fair. I feel like I may have have come off a little harsh there. I'm going to backpedal. No, No, it's so true. I mean, instantly after I had taken the bar, I was... That's my go-to. That's what's comfortable for me. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be comfortable? You've been in school for the better part of your life. Truly, if I could be a professional student, I 100% would. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely our real, y'all. But I will say, I didn't realize how attached I was to that feedback loop that you get in school until I was out for quite a while. When I was out and enjoying my nights and weekends and really spending my time the way I wanted to spend it, finding moderate success in my career and being happy in the life I had, I realized I don't really need school and school is completely kind of artificial. It's like an artificial bubble of feedback. It's not necessarily. Yeah. So I kind of liked real life a little bit better, but also I wasn't hindered by needing a special degree or anything like that. So not until I decided I wanted to go back to law school and then I was like, all right, I'm in. School does serve a very good and valid purpose. (laughs) Can you tell I'm a little burned? I'm a little... (laughs) I don't know an attorney who's not, so... (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. 
This was so great, Colleen. Thanks everybody for listening. Yes, thanks so much. You guys have had as much fun as I have talking to Colleen all the time. <laughs> <laughs>